0: The day is not far off when the economic problem will take the back seat where it belongs, and the arena of the heart and the head will be occupied or reoccupied by our real problems, the problems of life and of human relations, of creation and behavior and religion. John Maynard Keynes.
1: Our economic system and our planetary system are now at war, or more accurately, economy is at war with many forms of life on Earth, including human life. What the climate needs to avoid collapse is a contraction in humanity's use of resources. What our economic model demands to avoid collapse is unfettered expansion. Only one of these sets of rules can be changed, and it's not the law of nature. Naomi Klein
0: Mother, where do you live, in the sky The clouds, the sea, show me your face. Give me a sign.
1: Look again at that dot. That's here, that's home, that's us. On it, everyone you love, everyone you know, everyone you ever heard of, every human being who ever was lived out their lives. The aggregate of our joy and suffering, thousands of confident religions, ideologies, and economic doctrines, every hunter, of dust suspended in a sunbeam.
0: What if we lived in a world where everyone had enough? A world where everyone mattered and where people lived in harmony with nature? What if the solution to our economic, social, and ecological problems was right underneath our feet? Land has been sought after throughout human history. Even today, people struggle to get onto the property ladder and view real estate as an important way to build wealth. Yet, the act of owning land, and our urge to profit from it, causes economic booms and busts, social and cultural decline, and environmental devastation. Perhaps it's time for a new economic model that ensures a more fair and abundant reality for everyone.
1: Sure, but it's difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary depends upon him not understanding it. And that's the law of the land. Hello and good morning. I'm William Morgan and happy birthday, Magna Carta. This is 42 Minutes, a production of Book Radio and distributed by thethinkbook.com. You can find us online at 42minutes.com and you can reach us by sending a message to mail at or 42minutes.com. You can also follow our tweets at think42 and at book. Today is the 16th day of June 2015 and this is our one hundred. 89th broadcast. Though it's time to hit the beaches, we've filled a whole canvas tote with books on economics in search of a new paradigm for a thriving world.
0: And thankfully we found that very book and now don't have to read The Mill, Malthus, or Smith. Hello friends, Doug here and today we share 42 minutes with Martin Adams, social innovator, systems thinker, and community organizer. In response to witnessing extreme wealth inequality as a child, Martin was inspired toward a lifelong quest to create a fair and sustainable world in collaboration with others. And though groomed for a career in finance, he chose to dedicate his life to community development instead of Wall Street. Through his nonprofit work, he saw firsthand the extent to which our economic system causes human and ecological strife. Consequently, Adams has devoted himself to the implementation of a new economic paradigm that allows humanity to thrive in harmony with nature. His recent book, Land, A New Paradigm for a Thriving World, is the fruit of his years of research into this economic model and stands as an appeal to the change makers worldwide. It was published this past March by North Atlantic Books, and more information about it can be found at his website, unitism.com. Martin is currently the Executive Director of Progress.org, and it is an honor to have him here today. How are you doing, Martin?
2: Uh, Thanks for having me here, William and Doug.
0: Thank you. Your book is wonderful. Well, thank you. You bet. What did
2: you like about it?
0: (laughs) Well, it offered a lot of hope. It seems like when you consider the idea of a just and fair world, that there's no entry into that. It, it becomes this, it's almost fictional utopia where you, you have to dream beyond our, our re- reality boundaries. It, there's no entry into that world Some for some reason, but you actually show us a door.
2: Yeah, it's actually quite simple if you boil it down. Um, are you familiar with the story about the king who wears no clothes? Sure. It's a favorite, It's a very well-known story. Um, and it takes a small child to, to point the finger and say, hey, the king wears no clothes. And then once the, the child has done that, everyone kind of wakes up to the fact and starts to laugh. Um, that's kind of what this book is hoping to do. It's hoping to point out a fact that's quite obvious, but a fact that most people refuse to, to just acknowledge and to see we have become accustomed to our system of land ownership and resource ownership to such an extent that we just take it for granted and obvious. And then we scratch our heads when we have unemployment or ecological destruction or economic uh, booms and busts. And we're like, well, maybe something, something needs to be fixed, but we have forgotten to look at the most basic of all facts. Any human being can just walk into nature and claim a part of nature, a part that we all depend upon, like the air. Any human being can claim a part of nature and say, "This is mine," just like that. You know, sure, there's an exchange of paper dollars, um, and and over time, this this piece of property becomes more valuable, but but nothing has been really contributed uh, to compensate those people that have been excluded from property. And that's kind of what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm just giving you a very big picture perspective here. I, and I'm happy to go to go into the nitty gritty details and, and explain more how our current system of land ownership causes unemployment, wealth inequality, poverty, un, uh, ecological destruction and and a host of other things. And those consequences are well documented and scientifically proven well
0: don't don't we live in a meritocracy I don't understand why we'd need a new paradigm anyway
2: that's uh, quite a myth isn't it Um, people think yeah you work hard and it it is definitely possible if you work hard you can make money um, but you also have to remember that there is a lot of skill that's happening uh, that's necessary uh, and not everyone has uh, the skill to to earn uh, money. For example, you know, a billionaire has so much money that the billionaire may just sit back and earn money without actually contributing uh, anything of value anymore. And that is not a meritocracy. So that is quite a myth that we're actually having. Uh, Let me explain, there there are two ways to make make an income. The first way is by by contributing uh, value to our society, for example, through your work, um, or by contributing objects of value like cars, and machines, and tools, and so forth. And then the second way of making an income is by extracting value from society without contributing anything of corresponding value. Uh, Let me give you an example. If I buy a piece of property for $100,000, and say I don't do anything with it. And then five years later, I sell the property for $150,000. You know, we tend to congratulate the homeowner for making money, but the homeowner didn't actually add anything of value to the economy. And yet the homeowner just made 50 grand over five years. That's not a meritocracy. That's quite simply stealing. <laughs>
0: Wait, you're telling me that I had the sense to buy my house in the right neighborhood, with the right school district, and that I shouldn't—I shouldn't, I shouldn't uh, profit from that.
2: Well, if I say shouldn't, that's a very um, strong
0: okay, you're right. way of yeah. wording it,
2: because our current system encourages that. Our current economic system encourages every homeowner to profit from land. And so those who don't profit are kind of like the losers who you know who missed out. But what we've forgotten is that this system is a game of musical chairs. So we only have six chairs but 10 people. There will always be winners and losers in this economic system, as long as some people profit from land at the expense of others. You see, land is not something that everyone can equally profit from, uh, unless, uh, and I, I'm going to go this in, I'm going to go into greater detail later on, unless this becomes a different economic system.
0: Okay, so maybe explain to the listeners what the difference between an absolute monopoly is and an entry monopoly.
2: Yeah, so land ownership is an entry monopoly. It is actually not a free market. People are kind of confused. They're like, huh, I thought you can buy and sell land, you know, just like you can buy and sell cars. And so it's a free market. Um, it's actually not a free market. And the reason is uh, land, you can't make more of it. So when you buy a piece of land in a good location, there's, there's not more land in a good location. There's only so much land in any good location. And so people that own land in good locations, as those locations became more, become more valuable over time, those owners are then able to extract money from the value created by other people in a good location. So if a Whole Foods opens up or a cafe or a restaurant opens up, the work that those people do to open up those stores benefits the homeowner. And the homeowner, therefore, lives off the lives and the contributions of other human beings by making an extra income, an extra profit from real estate.
0: And so this is why you say the value of land... Is social in nature
2: yeah very simply uh, it's it's very simple to think about it Uh, imagine if you you know put up a a skyscraper in the desert in the middle of nowhere the value of land underneath the skyscraper is worth nothing Uh, it's zero because nobody has a use for that skyscraper Um, however if you put up a house in a good location the house the, the building has a certain value but what's actually truly valuable and this is the case in most urban locations is the land underneath the house that's where the money is
0: it's interesting because I was actually thinking about it this weekend I went, uh, I went to a lake and one of the reasons why so there's an intrinsic value to the lakefront property of course yes but Because the lake is close enough to a metropolitan area, it seems like it becomes more and more valuable as the actual city grows.
3: Yes,
2: correct, yeah. There are three factors um, that determine the value of land. Uh, One is nature in itself, there's natural elements. So if you have a piece of land that has a good view, or it's by sitting by a lake, then there is, uh, uh, the social value, um, of a piece of land, right? So if it, if it, um, has, if it's close to a lot of people, right. And then of course, an economic value, if, if the environment is, uh, you know, if, if, if you can basically have access to a lot of goods and services in that environment.
1: But it's the torque of scarcity that creates value, right? Yeah.
2: And land is scarce for each location. That's different than cars, for example. If, if you want to buy, if, if, if there's a greater demand for a certain kind of car, well, the factory can pr- produce more cars. But if there's a certain demand for a good location, you can't expand that location. You can't make more land in that particular location.
0: Okay. For the sake of uh, completeness, too, then let's. What is what is economic wealth? And what is capital, and how are these different?
2: In our current society, we think of capital, in other words, capital goods. I'm not talking about money here, but I'm talking about physical capital goods. We think of capital goods as uh, not only consisting of machines, uh, computers, trucks, and so forth, but also elements of nature, gifts of nature. Um, and this I actually refute in my book, Land in the Paradigm for Thriving Woods. I refute this notion that nature is not capital. Nature is a separate entity in itself. It's it's a gift that we have to share. Um, but according to my definition, capital or capital goods are human-made things that assist us in the production of wealth. Now, what do I mean with wealth? In this particular case, I define wealth as things that we have created using the gifts of nature, uh, for example, like land, oil, coal, trees. And these gifts of nature, we, we we mold with our labor, as well as with the assistance of capital goods, with tools and machines, to create economic wealth. Economic wealth are, are things that we can either consume or even destroy sometimes. Um, And those things we can, uh, or economic wealth, we can also save up and create more capital goods with those things that we have produced. And so a lot of people think, for example, let me give you an example. A lot of people think that the economy is doing well when housing prices go up. But housing prices increasing is not actually an increase in the number of, economic wealth that exists in society. It's the same amount of houses that we've had before, the same amount of land. And yet the value goes up, doesn't mean that we're actually better off. It just means that those that don't own homes that don't own land are going to have a harder time, uh, being alive and paying for their costs of, uh, for their living expenses.
1: But this is a predictable system. I mean, what you're saying is, is I mean, it's kind of like the emperor's clothing in a, in a, in a way because even a, a kid could understand that if you keep raising the prices on land, then the bubble's going to pop, but it's continually doing it. Let's talk about, uh, what was his name? Her, what, Fred Harrison, I believe?
2: Yeah, Fred Harrison as well as Fred Foldberry. Uh Those are two economists. Uh, Fred Follardberry is, uh, I think he is based in Berkeley right now in the Bay Area, San Francisco area. And he predicted the 2008 economic crash way back in 1997. And he did so uh, uh, in a scientific journal. And he was able to do this because he understands that real estate goes in cycles, in 18-year cycles. Usually there's a, there's a boom, uh, and that boom lasts about seven years, and that is followed by a bust that lasts about three to five years, and that bust is then followed by another recovery phase that lasts about seven years. So you have a seven-year boom, three to five-year uh, bust, and a recovery phase of about another seven years. Fred Harrison also predicted the 2008 economic crash, also in 1997 as well. So both of those economists are intimately familiar with this real estate cycle.
1: So, what, when would the next, right now, what period would we be in? Well, recovery, yeah, the crash, five year
2: recovery? We're actually uh, in the seven year recovery phase. Uh, the crash happened in 2008. Um, 2006 was the peak of the market. And so we have already recovered from the, from the bust, and now we're still recovering from the bust. Soon we'll we be experiencing a uh, run-up in real estate.
1: Yeah, and real estate's going for, crazy right now. But, I mean, what's going yeah. on? Yeah. It, it's, really, it's really almost disgusting how much of a change it's been since 2008 because everybody's overcharging and stuff. But yeah,
2: that's, and that's it, the nature of well, that
1: ownership. So we're going to have another bust in like, what, by next year?
2: <laughs> what, Fred Folberg Fred, uh, he actually believes it's going to be in 2026, uh, 2024, around that time, uh, which would put us about eight, eight to nine to 10 years uh, f- from today. And um, yeah, that's just the nature of real estate.
0: One of the natures of our system too though, is speculating in regards to the the constraints. so do you think people will utilize these theories as a way you know as a way of playing this market?
2: Some people have um, there are some investors who are familiar with this real estate cycle and they have specifically used this to to play the market. Uh, unfortunately, most people are completely unaware of this real estate cycle, if the majority of human beings were aware of it, and more importantly, if they were also aware of how to prevent it, we might have a completely different economic system because poverty and wealth inequality is every person's business. Even the wealthy are negatively affected when the economy tanks, when there's wealth inequality as well as poverty. Uh, Nobody wants to live in a mansion that has to be surrounded by barbed wire and security guards, because we live in such a screwed up economic system. So, wealth inequality is something that concerns everyone.
1: So, how do we fix it?
2: <laughs> well, it's a great question. It goes deep.
0: H- how deep do you want to go? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Let's laugh at the emperor, man. I want it. I want it
2: all.
0: I'm curious what the law of rent is, because this is something I've heard thrown around a little.
2: Yeah, so the law of rent. Let me give you a simple explanation. Um, Let's say I buy a piece of land, $100,000. Why is it worth $100,000? Oh, it's worth $100,000 because there's a police station nearby. Oh, because we have electricity, because there are shops nearby. So the law of rent is, is basically the law of uh, give, of what gives value to land. And um, basically, y- you could summarize it into three words, location, location, location. That's as simple as I can uh, boil it down.
0: Okay, so then if that's what we're up against, how, how do you create just because like, not all like, locations are the same. You can't.
1: We're grandfathered exactly. into. We're grandfathered into this. This. Okay, I, we got to get back to how to fix it, Doug.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. Let's uh, put it very simply.
2: People who use land, and we all use land, just like we we breathe air. The land is something universal. Everyone, every human being needs land. In, instead of owning land uh, and, and just being able to to pay another human being for, for land, for something that no human being has made, instead of doing that, the best and most efficient way of creating a fair and just economy would be for us to rent land or lease land from our local communities. And the reason I'm saying this is because when you pay a rent on land, not the building, just the land. When you pay rent for the land, that rental value is the pretty much the precise financial reflection of all the value that you receive from using that particular piece of land. See, when you p- rent a piece of land in downtown, that rent would be a lot higher than when you rent a piece of land in, uh, in, a, in the countryside. And that difference is actually the value of what you receive in an urban environment as opposed to what you receive in the countryside.
0: Is that similar to a property tax?
2: Property taxes have a good intent. They they tax the value of land as well as the value of the building. So that's not a good thing. Um, you don't want to punish people for owning a home or for for adding to their home, for creating improvements. But what you do want is you do want people to pay for something that no human being has made, which is land. And so it's similar, but it's also different, short answer.
0: And so then by the market as it is, this is part of the reason why the system behaves as it does as far as like sprawl and uh, overuse of nature scarcity yeah
2: totally um a lot of people don't like the property tax it's it's one of the least popular taxes however the property tax is only so so unpopular because it's kind of in your face but if you look at the economy, all the other taxes like sales tax, income tax, capital gains tax, they're really more—they're uh, they're much worse than a property tax. And and um, if you have if you charge people for the use of land, you don't need to raise money in many other ways. Uh, in fact, if you don't charge people for the use for the use of land, you're going to have a lot of urban sprawl. You're going to have Commercial real estate developers make, make a ton of money from, from speculating in land, from, from buying land for cheap and then selling it after they, they've developed it for a lot of money, um, especially once the town has grown around it. And so it's much, much better to actually uh, shift all the taxes away from income and sales and capital gains and onto land and charge people for the use of land Um, because that does prevent not only a lot of economic issues, but also it prevents urban sprawl and as well as other ecological issues.
0: So when I'm reading this book, I'm I'm finding it really hopeful. Like, there is a way out of the world that we're in that seems like it's marching towards destruction, but it also seems like there's a bit of a catch-22 that... What is step one? How do you go from an ownership society, which it definitely ownership has this individual me, me, me feel, this is mine, to mm-hmm. a community where we begin behaving like we're all a part of a web and that we are you know entitled to certain benefits of being in in an environment but that how do how do we transition out of you know the capitalistic mindset that we've our brains are just in it's like a matrix
3: yeah
2: yeah it's a great question um many people are familiar with with the movie avatar i almost hate to mention it because it's a bit corny uh to bring up this example but in avatar it, it's a great story because you have this, this Western mindset pitted against this unity mindset. So you have these, these capitalist resource uh, destroyers come into this planet and basically they, they just want resources. They're hungry for resources, but they're also very individualistic based. In other words, um, it's a, it's a me, me, me attitude versus a we, we, we attitude. And the more we can think in terms of us and and all of us together, I think the more likely we'll be able to succeed. No human being is an island onto him or herself. We're all interconnected. It's just the nature of reality. And the more of us wake up to that fact, the more of us realize that that what we do affects the web of life. When I'm kind to another person that has a huge effect, I may not be aware of it, but it does have an effect. That person may go to, go to bed uh, that night and feel, feel better about themselves and pass it on in different ways the next morning. And the more we can think that way, the more likely we're able to realize and wake up to the fact that when I hurt another human being, for example, by, by consenting to this economic system that we're living in, The more I am hurt myself and vice versa, when I realize, hey, I'm in this with you, you're in this with me together, well, let's figure out a way that we can live together in a way that everyone benefits. The more we can do that, the better I think we all will be.
0: And so on a real basic level, you're advocating for no private ownership of land.
2: That's quite... um, that yes, that's what I that's what I do not not individual ownership of land, but uh, collective ownership of land. Now I'm not saying I'm not saying I have always have to add this to to what to what I'm saying because I'm not saying we have to use land together, that there can't be a private, exclusive use of land. Far from it. I'm saying that people are still this should still have the right to use land as they see fit, but only as long as they compensate the community for their exclusive use of land.
1: I can't, I can't even imagine. Like, uh, how would you turn the tables and re educating Because, <clears throat> like I said, yeah. we, are, we are totally grandfathered into this is how everyone is doing it, so this is how it's done. And any time you say anything outside of that, you're going to be called crazy.
2: Yeah. Well, the United States itself was was founded upon the theft of land. So if you think about it, of course we've been grandfathered into this this mentality because we've taken land. We've stolen it from the Native Americans and said, this is mine. And the theft continues to this day. Um, However, if you you look at other places in the world, like Hong Kong, I'm not sure how it is today, but uh, back when I was still living in Hong Kong, the land was considered to be owned by the British crown. And so people could only lease land from the government. There was no sense of private ownership of land. There was only leasing of land. So it is possible to to live in in a new economic model where people lease or rent land from their local communities. It's entirely possible. It just, we're the only ones who prevent ourselves from adopting that kind of uh, model.
0: Do you think a model like that happens at the grassroots first? Does it start on a real local level or a state level, or does this happen? I think at, at yeah. a national level.
2: Uh, it can happen on either level. on On, on diff- um It depends on the collective consciousness. Um, let me share with you an example of what we've been doing uh, where I live uh, in Middletown, California, well, near near where I live. Um, we actually purchase a group of people purchased a commercial property and we we are in the process of returning that to the commons. And that commercial property, um, uh, the the tenant is paying a rent on that commercial property and in time, over time, that rent would be redistributed uh, to the people of Middletown. That's something we're doing on a local level. Um, the, People might be interested in reading more about this in my book, Land. And um, I also mention how uh, cities and towns can gradually um, collectivize the ownership of land once more.
0: I seem to remember – oh, I'm not going to be able to come up with the details. But there's the the urban myth that the commons would be devastated –
2: Oh the tra you you're yes, referring to the, the tragedy, tragedy of, of the, the commons. commons
0: yeah and then someone yes. what is her name who did she win a no what what she won a prize because she showed how there's all these societies where the tragedy of the commons is actually a myth
2: Yes I I am not sure of the name but yeah I was going to respond to that and say yeah the the fact that someone called it the tragedy of the commons isn't itself a tragedy <laughs> because we tend to we tend to like bad stories or stories where, you know, there's so much suffering and, but we tend to overlook or ignore the fact that actually the commons are not overused. If you work together, um, back in England in this, I'm not sure, I think it was in the 1600s or the 1500s, could be used. People shared in the commons. they were shared, they were used uh, for everyone equally. And the only thing that happened is the lords came in and the kings and, and the princes, and, and they took the commons from the people. And and really that was a destruction of the commons.
0: It's so fascinating because the con- – I mean there is definitely this this contradiction that our brains are – the story, the myth is saying that private ownership, if you own it, you're going to be responsible for it. And so you're going to take care of it. But that's the world that we're in, and the world that we're in has the British or the the Canadian tar sands, where here's this huge destructive project, you know, yeah. just complete exploitation. But then we also have that idea of the tragedy of the commons, where if you have a group of people who don't own it, they won't feel they they won't feel like. What, what is that identified with the thing, and so they'll just they'll exploit it. But so it yeah, that's yeah. fascinating.
3: Well,
2: you know, homes. I'm not saying that people can own own their homes. They definitely can. Um, it's just that you know, land use, um, urban land use, for example. Right, if you own an apartment in the city, um, you're going to take care of that apartment. What I'm saying is you know if you own an apartment in a very very good location, you have to pay for that location um, and if you do your apartment is going to be worth less worth less not worthless but worth less and it's a good thing see we don't want homes to be very expensive or unaffordable uh, just like we don't want food to be very expensive or out of the reach for many the the cheaper housing is the better for everyone, and that's something we've forgotten in our society. And we often think that um, you know, ownership is something that makes us uh, better care for something, uh, but that's not always the case.
0: Well, you seem like a real hopeful guy, <laughs> <laughs> and you're working towards creating this world what how how do you feel about the future
2: well um i think people are generally surprised when they hear me say that i don't think it's going to happen anytime soon um and the reason i'm still hopeful is because hope starts with me and starts with you starts with all of us um whether or not the society actually changes Uh um I think as long as we can become an example, as long as we ourselves can become the kind of, I guess, become the kind of word that we want to, become the change that we want to see in the word, like Gandhi said, if you can become the change that you want to see in the word, then there's hope and there's beauty. Um, I don't know a better way to say it other than Perhaps to inspire people to become the best version
1: of themselves that they can become,
2: and if they can do that, there will always be hope.
1: Well, you've convinced me that I shouldn't take what you you've taught and exploit it, <laughs> because it is. I mean, <laughs> like if you know it's coming, right? Say that I bought up a lot of land right now, and around the year two thousand twenty twenty four somewhere around there, Mm. I Mm. could, that would be the peak of the market, right? According to, but I mean, we don't even know how the internet or things are going to change that. What you hope for could happen really quick if it was made obvious to a lot of people quickly. And then we just all laugh about it like a naked emperor. (laughs) Well, um, you know, I'm a
2: homeowner. Just to be clear, like I own a home. I own a home to live in it, not to exploit it, not to make a profit from it. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I don't advocate people to not own land or own homes in this current economic system. So that that would be unrealistic. Um, all I'm saying is if you do make money from land, if you do profit from it, you know, give back in, in this current economic system. Find ways how to how to how to share your fortune with those who are less fortunate and, uh, and work for change, work for a more fair and equitable economic system where everyone has enough.
1: And what do you have planned for the future?
2: Financially, you mean, or just for myself with a book? Or
1: Well, I mean, do you have another book in mind or is there something else that you're working on now?
2: Yeah, I, I'm currently writing on another book. Um, and one thing that I'm thinking of doing is k- kind of like, you know, I've, scientists, they have this, this vision of this unified theory. I'm kind of thinking of this unified economic theory and, you know, may want to write a book on that. This may take me a few years, maybe a few decades. So that's kind of what I'm thinking about. Like what, what would it take to create a unified economic theory? That would be, um, you know, that would work for every human being on this planet. Um, that's kind of my future. And, and I call it unitism. So it's unitism.com. People can, can find out more about this um, economic theory.
1: And fin- let's talk about financially. Why not talk about what you have planned financially for the future? Are you, like, preparing for another big bust?
2: Oh, of course. It's, it's always going to be there as long as we have this current economic system. So, um, what I, I mean, right now I have my savings invested. As the real estate market heats up over time, I will keep a good look on the real estate market and see if it really blooms quite a bit. And then as we get closer to 2024, um, I'm going to be paying especially good attention and at some point may just sell all my shares and um, make sure that I don't participate in the stock market before the bust happens. So I, I shouldn't feel guilty because predict-
1: that's what I'm going to do. I, <laughs> I mean, but are we, yeah. are, by doing that, are you perpetuating the same system that's causing the destruction in some kind of weird way? You're kind of, you're creating it.
2: What, what choice do we have in our current economic system? We either have the choice of not participating in it and becoming poor, but we're still participating in it. Or we have the choice of participating in it, and you know, becoming wealthy or in anything in between. But either way, we, we're still gonna be participating in it. What I'm saying is no human, from my perception, very few, it seems to me that you don't have really have a choice. Right? If you, if you don't have savings, if you don't make an income, you have to go begging. And that's really not helping society either. So do make money with, with your work, do contribute to society, do save up, Do invest those savings in the stock market if you have savings. Um, But inform yourself and educate yourself what causes these booms and busts. Um, Share with other human beings the causes and the solutions to how we can fix this economic issue. And then, if you can, on a local level, see if you can advocate for some sort of system that would collect uh, for the benefit of the public, the value of land. That you could, for example, advocate for land value taxes at your local city hall. Or you could advocate for for a system of collectivizing the vast land. Um, And then then renting out that land to your local community. So there are several ways that you can work for change. Most of all though, I don't advocate gives. Far from it. Um, love, if anything, is the most important thing that will lead to change. Don't feel bad about being part of a system that's screwed up. It's just a system we are born into. Um, just, just love. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Love yourself. Love other people. Give back. You know, the more human beings love, the more kind they become and the more willing they, they become to work for change in a very positive way does that make sense
0: it does and that was 42 minutes thank you so much for sharing it with us
1: thank you so much window really appreciate it it was a blast thank you so much and to our listeners this has been martin adams on syncbook radio a production of the Information about the work of Adams can be found at unitism.com, that's U-N-I-T-I-S-M.com. For more information about The Think Book, our guest, to check out past shows, or to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, please be sure and visit our website at thethinkbook.com. If you like this podcast and would like more, consider becoming a Think Book Plus member. Hit the key on the website. Some of the membership benefits include full access to the complete audio archive, discounts on books, behind-the-scenes scripts, bonus audio and video, as well as monthly online hangouts with the host. All this and more can be found at doesinkbook.com/membership. Thanks so much, and it always seems impossible until it's done.
3: You been around? Have you done your share of coming down on different things that people do? Now have you been aware? You got brothers and sisters who care about what's gonna happen to you in a year from now. Maybe I'll be there to shake your hand. Maybe I'll be there to share the land that they when we all live together, I'm talking about together now. Maybe I'll be there to shake your hand. Maybe I'll be there to share the land Let that I'd be giving away. When we all live together, I'm talking about together. paper landed in your yard do you know their names can you play their games without losing track and coming down a bit too hard oh maybe i'll be there to shake your hand maybe i'll be there to share the land that they'd be giving away when we all live together we're talking about together now maybe live together Every head. day coming sunshine